Please listen carefully. And welcome, 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 everyone. Ladies, gentlemen, people of all kinds. Thanks for tuning in to the Heard It Here NBA podcast. As always, it's your ever-faithful host, Cooper Heard, here to talk about some NBA draft. That's what we do here today, talking about potential superstars in the NBA draft. These are the best of the best, right? This is this is why we watch basketball. These are the guys that make playoff runs, the guys that win championships. These are the guys that really define entire eras of the NBA. And in this episode, I'm going to go over five guys that I currently see as having the best chance of becoming bona fide era-defining superstars. Uh, coincidentally, these are the five guys that I would pick numbers one through five in the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, maybe not so coincidentally, uh, if you think about, again, how critical it is to find this type of superstar player uh, and how often NBA champions are led by a superstar player. Um, I would say, you know, maybe it's not not such a coincidence. Um, there's no big surprises up front. I'll say I am very confident in my top three, uh, the order and the players in that order. Much less so in numbers four and five right now. Uh, the numbers four and five actually that I have right now are different than the last pretty much every uh, sort of mock, uh, big board, anything that's come out so far. So that's something that's certainly changed, something that I'm uncertain about. But again, this is about superstar potential. That's what I think the top five of the NBA draft is about. You have to have that context in everything that you do and every decision that you make. So again, top three, no big surprises. Uh, and the non-surprise, I would say, certainly starts up top at number one. Uh, with the guy, I would say, is unequivocally considered by consensus and by myself as the most likely guy in the 2023 NBA draft to become a superstar uh, and that is Victor Wembenyama. I think the biggest thing that has gone a little bit unstated with uh, Victor and a lot of mainstream discussion is that he is very raw on both ends. In terms of especially the things that are often advertised, right? It's it's the perimeter skill set, uh, his shooting, his handle. Those are certainly those certainly exist and are incredibly exciting. It's a big part of why I think he could be a superstar. Those things are very raw. He is not very efficient as a shooter right now. He's not very efficient uh, as an ISO scorer for the most part. What really makes him the most phenomenal prospect we've seen since, at the very least, Zion Williamson, maybe back to LeBron James, it's his athleticism. And not just that he runs fast or he jumps high or that he's seven foot five with what I've heard is a reported seven foot eight wingspan. I've also heard it reported up to eight feet. Uh, regardless, the thing that makes him one of the most gifted athletes of all time is not that he's seven foot five. There are guys that have been seven foot five and failed in the NBA. What makes him incredible is that he's seven foot five and moves like a much smaller player. This is actually where I think the Kevin Durant comparison comes in, and a lot of people were quick to make it because he's a, a tall guy that shoots. People kind of did it with Chet Holmgren too, and it's like that's ridiculous, right? Yeah, I get it. He's tall, and he can handle a little bit, and he shoots. That doesn't make you Kevin Durant. What makes Kevin Durant great is not just that he's seven feet and has a nice handle and can shoot 
like one of the best shoot he's one of the best shooters in the in the world in the history of the game don't get me wrong um but what makes him really incredible is that he is seven feet tall and moves like he's six foot six women yama is a guy who's similar he is a seven foot five guy who moves like he's like six nine or six eight that's what really makes him incredible is that he has the agility and the balance and the coordination position himself on the floor like he's six foot eight but he has those seven extra inches of length plus however many in the wingspan so he can get to places both vertically and horizontally laterally that other guys just can't get to um that's what people i think what people really see when they say that he's one of the greatest athletes has ever seen the sives combined with the coordination and the agility and like the the things that are often, it's almost like the ballerina skills, right? It's the balance and how quickly can you pivot and flip your hips and all these sort of things that make for a fluid athlete, a fluid basketball player. Because fluidity is such an important thing as a basketball player, especially in this modern game. And especially as a guy like Wembenyamu, I think, is mostly going to be a perimeter-based player. I did want to mention, because just comparing him to a couple other guys... I think Victor's personality is going to be very interesting. I think, and I feel like this is going to come across as a negative. I mean it as a very much a positive. I think his personality is probably somewhat like Kareem, uh, not just his like his his frame and his his hype coming out of before he's coming into the NBA. I, I think I don't know. I, Kareem was slandered in the media back in his day, but I think we've recognized now that Kareem is an incredibly intelligent person who is very well spoken. And also had strong ideals and personally held beliefs and generally would do what was best for him. He wanted to be part of a team. He was winning titles with a team, right? I think he, he loved his teammates. But at the end of the day, if if a team, you know, an organization, a, a corporation at the end of the day, right, is asking him to go against his best interest, I don't think he's going to do that, right? I think Wimbenyama is someone that has a... A family around him that supports him, you know, agents, uh, trainers that have been developing him and his body since he's been a, a young, you know, since he's been a child. And I think if a team is trying to push him to do things or convince him to do things that are not in his best interest long term, I think I think his camp and him will push back against that, which I think is a net positive for us as basketball fans. I don't think that he is going to damage his career for the immediate whims of a team right i'm not saying that he's not going to play games because he wants to stay healthy when he's 22 right i'm saying that i think he's going to prioritize long-term health and that's what that's what we should look for for that's what these guys should do we want these guys to play as long as possible so that's just one note i wanted to add on him but hop into his game a little bit let's talk about the actual basketball on the floor the first part i want to start i'm going to start on his offense first so his offense Wimby yama's offense is super raw uh number one he's has no real post game that's kind of weird right as a seven foot five guy um the problem is post game if you're shooting a post fade or a post hook from 15 feet, you're never going to be efficient with it. It's it's way better to just face up and take a jump shot at that at that distance, uh, which he's totally capable of and does at times and is much more successful with. The post-up game has to be predicated on you getting close to the basket before you get the ball or getting the ball and then getting close to the basket, which I would say is Wimbiama's true weakness is that he cannot take the ball 
back down his guy and get five or six or seven inches, sorry, feet away from the basket, right? Um, he's not, he's, I think there are a lot of reasons why Wimanyama is not Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, Shaq is certainly a different body type, but this is, this is one thing that made Shaq so dominant, right? Is that his post-ups were all like three to seven feet from the rim, which makes it a lot easier to have like a good post-hook game because it's, you know, it's pretty much just a layup if you're seven foot one. Uh, Wimanyama, I think, if he gets close to the rim, he's going to make almost everything because it's almost all going to be a layup or just a, a floater that is above the rim. He just kind of hit the backboard half the time, just, you know, aim for the box. I think he's going to have to develop more of a post-up game. It's going to come from getting stronger, but also just getting a little bit more um, comfortable getting in spots, especially in transition. Uh, and that is something he does. I think he's pretty solid. Uh, in transition, he'll sort of uh, seal his man. I think that's where most of his efficiency comes from, right? It's not his shooting. His shooting is pretty streaky. At times, I would say it's just straight up ineffective. It's At times, he just doesn't even really shoot that much. Um, his, his efficiency comes from, it's the cutting, like I said, the transition finishing or, or you know, the seals, uh, the putbacks are huge. Those are, that's where his efficiency really comes in, right? And, and he's also good as just a basketball player who's going to get the ball and pass it to the next guy. You know, he's, he's not a ball hog. He's not a ball stopper. Uh, he's intelligent with his uh, feel of the overall team offense. His handle and that passing, like I mentioned, uh, some of the more ambitious passes, I guess, you know, actually creating advantages with the pass uh, and his handle again, that it's fun. Uh, it's, he makes way too many mistakes at this point to really be effective. Uh, but those are the sort of skills that, again, he went to Mets 92, uh, to experiment, right? This is, this is the whole goal of that team, um, there's no reason for him to be more efficient than he is right now because the goal of this season is to develop his skills. The goal of this season is not to win a yearly title or to win a French title. Uh, it's to get really good at basketball, it, to do his best at basketball and not get injured. Uh, those are his, his goals this year. So, um, I, And one of the things, too, is experts always – I've. I can't say I've watched a lot of Wimby at Asvel the past couple of years, but uh, I always hear that Wimby has grown a ton, uh, even just over the past season, uh, from last season to this season. So I don't think there's any reason to, to believe his raw offensive skills won't continue to grow, especially if he gets to a team that is fostering those the development of those skills, which it's, it's hard to imagine a team's going to draft him and be like, nah, get in the post. Like, we're not, no, you're not taking threes with this team. Um, I think he's pretty safe on that account. So uh, that's his offense. Again, that's what, that's, that's what I think everyone is really intrigued with. But I would say where he has more of a case to become a true superstar, uh, and certainly earlier on, is on the defensive end. Um, Wimby is certainly much less raw, although I would stay, I would still consider him a raw player on, on the defensive end. Um, his decision-making can be a little questionable at times. I think he actually gets scored on a little bit more at the rim than you might think, especially uh, somebody taking him off the dribble. Uh, if he's, you know, helping at the free throw line and then they're driving on him, I think guys can really finish around him relatively effectively. Uh, much more than you would think for a guy his height and with his length. And it's funny, I was actually looking at this at first, and I was like, yeah, I guess he's more of a guy that's, he's like a movement blocker, 
more than like a verticality guy, right? I think he comes in off of help defense uh, and get, can get blocks on guys that don't see him a little bit more that, rather than um, a guy is going up and challenging him and you just stay vertical and get the block that way. Uh, he's more, again, he's more of an advantage rim protector and a shot blocker than he is a true every down rim deterrent. Um, but that being said, I mean, I don't think that's the worst in the world. I do think he will. So it's funny. I, I think his offensive game leans more towards a forward role, a small forward, power forward role, probably more power forward in the long term. Although at this point, I think it's probably more small forward because, again, he can't post up. Um, at all so I, I i do think his offense leads a little bit more forward but defensively i do think he can be a full-time center i think the beauty of his game is that he could even be a four if you want him to uh, if you have an effective center and if not i think you can play him some at center uh, maybe similar to Giannis in the way he plays defense i think again it's okay that he is a little bit more of a, a an opportunistic blocker than an every down back at this point because you don't need him to be Rudy Gobert on defense. Um, I think what we've seen is that Rudy Gobert can actually get exploited at times, right? Um, and what makes Wimanyama great is that, yes, he can kind of chase blocks at times. He's not necessarily the most focused, uh, again, every down. I'm using that football terminology, but I think it makes sense. Like every play you are just getting in position, staying vertical, minimizing the opponent's chance of making the shot as opposed to, hey, I'm going to go for this block, which is going to be freaking cool, <laughs> and it's going to eliminate that shot, although you know, half the time it's going to go out of bounds and they can get another shot off or whatever. It's not necessarily um, the most efficient play every time, but I don't think that's the biggest deal in the world because you can teach some more of that discipline, uh, once he gets in the league, and again, there's more consequences in like a playoff game, I think he'll stay more disciplined. Um, and I think the thing with, again, the Gobert weakness, the Gobert killer was those Clippers, the Clippers team specifically, right? It was the Clippers five-out team, but not just that. It was five-out with guys that can pretty much all beat you off the dribble. It was like Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and Paul George and even like Terrence Mann has like a decent handle, and he was hitting threes. That was the biggest thing: is is the guys would beat their guy off the off the dribble on the perimeter, one on one, force Gobert to close in and try to contest at the rim because otherwise it was just going to be an easy layup. And then those guys are kicking to the corner, and Terrence Mann hit like you know he he scored like forty points off of threes one game. If that happens, you're just going to kind of lose, right? Um, that's an impossible situation. The the thing, it's not even a Gobert problem there, right? The problem there is that you have a team that cannot defend their guys one-on-one, -on -one, which means that you need rim protection. But if the other team is playing five out and they hit all their shots, then you're just going to lose. That's, that's, it's really not a Gobert problem. It's a, it's a your team's getting beat on the perimeter every time problem. The thing about Victor Weminyama, though, you, you know who uh, might be able to go in and, and try to contest at the rim and then still close out to the corner three and, and maybe even block that shot sometimes, you know who might be able to do that is the dude that just dunked his own put-back dunk off of a step-back three. Like, Victor freaking Wembenyama. He's the dude that might be able to do that. Um, he, he might be the guy that... He may fundamentally change 
the way we view rim protectors on defense because he may, he may be able to protect the rim and then close out to a corner shooter and still effectively contest the corner three. Like it's not even just, you know, a hand in the face, but legitimately having an opportunity to block a three-point corner shot. And if he can do that, that's that's not just being a superstar on defense. That is rewriting the way that offenses now have to play against you. And again, I'll kind of get into the overall sort of verdict now, right? I think he's way more raw than people make him out to be at times. But but the things that make him an instant impact star, it's not the shooting and the dribble. It's not even like the crazy athletic, you know, the highlight plays. Those are awesome. Those are very cool. Those are why I really hope he goes to San Antonio so I can go see him some next year. But what makes him an instant impact star and what really makes him one of the best prospects we've ever seen is his size and coordination and how he has already learned how to apply that on offense, you know, scoring, his movement ability, um, the shooting at times, the handle at times, and on defense as well. The fact that he has shown the ability to cover so much ground so effectively on defense, it, it, it makes it so that you can see a world in which he is a superstar on both ends of the floor, which I think Giannis is the one guy you would say right now is maybe not this year. I think his defense is considered you know a tier below, but he's a guy that won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, right? I think that's a fair way to say... I think that's fair to say that he's a two-way superstar at that point. Um, I think Webinyama has a chance to get to that level, right? I think I think that's that's his that's his peak. And at the end of the day, the thing that you have to keep saying about Victor Webinyama is that Giannis is seven foot, maybe even six eleven, and Webinyama's seven foot five. So there is just inherently a slightly higher ceiling there. We'll see. We'll see what that really turns out to be. It, I mean, it's incredible watching him just play normal games, right? The highlights are the highlights are amazing, but you can just watch him play basketball, and you're like, oh yeah, this is I've never seen this before. Uh, it's funny. I I actually was fortunate enough to see Zion a couple of times in high school because I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, and I was a dumb college kid and didn't really have any context for what he was I was seeing, and I was like, yeah, this guy's super good, like. My dad was like, yeah, you think he'll be the number one pick? And I was like, yeah, maybe. I, maybe You know, there's this guy, RJ, who everyone really likes, like, out of Canada. Like, he's 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 really highly regarded and stuff. My dad was like, yeah, he's uh, Zion's going to be the number one pick. And I was like, okay, whatever you say, Dad. Um, yeah, he saw it, you know. And looking back now, I, I can see it a little bit more at this point. Uh, I've just watched enough basketball. I've, I've seen enough athletes. Victor's like that. I mean, he's going to come in and, you know, I, I, I get, I've sort of mentioned, you know, Amon Thompson as potential uh, generational athlete, Scoot, kind of like that. They're not, they're not like Victor Wimanyama is. Zion was the other one, you know, again, I think before Zion, you have to go back to LeBron. These are just athletes that don't exist yet in the NBA. Kevin Durant was another one, right? There weren't any Kevin Durants yet. There are Scoot Hendersons, right? John Morant. Again, Prime Derrick Rose was kind of like what we were talking about. Russell Westbrook is who he gets comparisons to. These guys, he may be the best version of him, but guys like that exist. Amin Thompson, Osar Thompson, 
they're they're kind of LeBron-ish clones. I wouldn't even put them quite at that level, but I would say guys like that to an extent exist. Maybe you could argue Amon Thompson, but there's nobody that comes close to Victor Wembanyama. He is truly an original in every way. Yeah, at this point, I'd you know I think it's worth going back and watching his film because it, it is incredible to watch him. Uh, and it's cool to see him before he gets to the league. But at this point, there's no more evaluation to be done. He's the top guy. Uh, it's just a matter of who the lucky team is that's going to be able to work with him for the next, hopefully, 15 to 20 years. So I think that's <laughs> that's enough on Victor. Um, I think it's pretty clear that I think he's a phenomenal player. Uh, next, we can talk about a, a spot that's gotten a little bit more controversial, but I, I'm still pretty confident uh, that Scoot Henderson is the second most likely player in the 2023 NBA draft to be a superstar long-term. So Scoot Henderson, the, the first thing I have to say about him is that he is just, he is such a dog. He is so cool, but not just in like, not in a cheap way. He is, he is an instant role model, role model, excuse me. Um, he walks into any locker, any young locker room, and he is the leader. He's like the emotional leader and the leader on the court. He walks into Houston, and he's the leader over guys like Jabari and Jalen Green. Not even like an aggressive way. I think they just would defer to him. Uh, he walks into Orlando. I think Paolo and Franz are looking at him and saying, oh, this is the guy that we can be. I, you know, Paolo can be the number two guy. Franz can be the number three guy. And Scoot can... You know, he's going to be the number one guy, but not in a way that is taking away from them, in a way that empowers them and takes them to great heights in the playoffs. Um, I think Scoot, again, he's six foot two, but like he's one of the best athletes. He's one of the best best athletes I've, I've seen. Uh, I can't say I've been doing this for a long time. 2018 is the first year I, I was really uh, watching, you know, beyond like the, the top couple of guys, you know, like I knew Deer and Fox and Lonzo and. Uh, those guys in 2017 and Markel, right? Um, I knew Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram, but I, I wasn't really I wasn't really following prospects that much or in the early 2010s, especially. But I, I mean, he's just he's incredible, right? It's uh, my my comparison to him uh, again, six foot two with the six foot nine wingspan uh, and super strong too. I don't think people realize like he's well. I think people do realize nowadays with a couple of his pictures that have come out, but. Yeah, like he's he's very functionally strong. Like he he has a wide um, a wide frame despite being a little bit short, right? Uh, my comparison for him is Donovan Mitchell, who's another guy that I think Donovan's even like six foot one uh, with like a six foot eight, six ten wingspan, something like that. Uh, the the one thing I would say, and it's funny, I, I'm usually somebody that tries to be conservative with comparisons, but now the top five, this is top five is where you're trying to swing for someone that's better than Donovan Mitchell, right? That's the goal at number two overall. So I think Donovan Mitchell, except maybe a little bit better of a point guard, I think that's what you want to shoot for. Uh, if you're if you're looking at an optimistic view of what Scoot could be, I just, I'm in love with this game. I, I'm not really worried about the jumper. You know, on offense, I, I think he's about like John Morant. Again, Jaw is somebody that I can't help but think about when I watch Scoot. Yeah, real, right off the bat, all the off-court off stuff, none of that, none of that correlates with Scoot. Like it's, I'm going to compare their games on the court because uh, I think they're very similar, and I think Jaw is a phenomenal basketball player. All the off-court stuff, I'm not, 
I'm not thinking about any of that right now. So I think I think Scoot's a phenomenal human being. I'm not worried about him in the slightest. I just want to get that out of the way because I think Scoot is I think Scoot's great. I and and I don't want to I don't want it to sound like I'm disrespecting him in any way. I think he's about John Morant's level when it comes to the jump shot. Uh, in terms of like Jaw's rookie year, um, I, I don't think it needs any major reworking. I think it just needs adjustments. Um, he's not again. He's not Amin Thompson. He's not Andre Jackson. Like he can, he can shoot. He's a natural shooter. Maybe a little bit less so on catch and shoot shots. Um, I think he's definitely a little bit more comfortable as a pull up guy. But I, he, I'm not. I'm just not worried about him learning how to shoot. I think he'll. I think he'll be fine. I think he's got good touch. I think he's got very solid touch. I don't think it's great, but I think he's got very solid touch. He's. Super. Com- I, I don't really get the idea that oh he's, well he may, maybe he's not going to be the point guard. What if he has to be a shooting guard? Like he's going to be a point guard. If he fails or succeeds, it will be as a point guard. Like he's he's not a shooting guard a- at all. The, he's deadly in the pick and roll game. Like that's that's what it, you need to be as a as a point guard as a every down pick and roll guy. And that's what Scoot is. So I'm not worried about him as a point guard at all. Because uh, again, he's great. In the pick and roll, you cannot guard him one-on-one. Teams are just going to have to go under screens early on because there's not going to be any other way to guard him. And I think within a couple of years, he's going to be able to pretty quickly adapt. And I don't think he's going to hit like tough step-back threes consistently. But if you're going under him 18 feet from the rim, he's going to pull up and make that like 40% of the time in a couple of years from here, 45% of the time. I just I think he's going to be very efficient um, on easy shots. He's somebody that is a smart, a smart human being, and also a, he applies that very well to the basketball floor, which that's that's a combination you don't get very often. I think he just has really good instincts in terms of when to shoot and when he's going to have space for a shot. The other thing that I think everybody always talks about is this concept of a walking paint touch, sort of referring to a guy that just can get to the paint whenever they want, which is, I mean, if if you're able to get to the paint, you are, to an extent, beating your defender, or at the least muscling them down there, and causing some sort of disruption in the defense where help is either going to be activated, uh, or somebody's going to be on alert and maybe not as aware, uh, looking, you know, looking at their own guy. I think Scoot, I mean, people talk about Amin being that, Anthony Black even, I've heard, described as the walking paint touch. I think Scoot Henderson, he's the quintessential ideal of a walking paint touch. I mean, number one, the literal definition, he's phenomenal at getting into the actual paint. Like, nobody can stop him one-on-one, or especially if he has a screen, like, he's getting to the paint. You have to trap him off the pick and roll to stop him from getting to the paint. And to be honest, I'm sure he could still get to the paint half the time if he really tried. Um, his handle is so functional, and he's just... Again, his everything about him, he's so athletic, his handle is so good, his shot is mediocre, but like in the most functional way possible um, from a basketball point of view. Like that's a, that's an abstract thing to say, but he's just he's a basketball athlete. He just is. He is so good at getting into the paint in all these circumstances, but he also does it again. I think some of this, yes, is team construction. Playing in the G League probably helps. Maybe Gigi Jackson on USC didn't have the same advantages. But I think Scoot's really good at getting to the paint without having a bunch of guys on him. 
I get, again, some of that is if they can totally sag off of shooters, then they can just close in easier. But there's also an element of Scoot is smart about choosing his opportunities to drive. He's good about taking angles that make it difficult for guys to just quickly, like, you know, poke at the ball. And he's also makes quick decisions and is fast and powerful and I think can get to the paint before help can really react sometimes. Um, and especially if he's playing with guys that are threats to score on the wing or in the corners, like, yeah, the help is going to be hesitant to close. And that's going to be really tough because, man, he's a scoring threat in the paint. I mean, he may be 6'2", but he finishes like he's like he's 6'8". Um, he's, sm- he's strong enough to clear out space, too, in the paint, uh, which I think is you know his shots are not always super like he's not getting bumped and like making the most difficult layups he's generally pretty good about getting off decent shots even in the paint and a big thing again about this walking paint touch he's an equal threat to score or facilitate which means that if a team tries to play him as only a scorer then he's going to make a lot of really good passes and what I think is that he is such a threat to score, the teams can't play him any other way. Because if you kind of hedge and aren't playing him to score, he's going to dunk on you every time. And again, I think he's got those, like, he's strong enough to clear out some space. He's got those long arms, which helps him get off some passes. That would be the weak point, the weak point though, right? Is, yes, Amon Thompson's six seven and can see over guys much better. That's, you know, that's the LeBron, the Luka thing. I can't argue that and that's the one thing that having six foot nine arms doesn't help you with is seeing over people um or around people the one thing i will say about that though is i would really like to see him try to integrate the jump pass that uh guys like john morant and tyrese halliburton especially have integrated into their games that's the thing that i i didn't go i didn't grow up playing um basketball but that's the thing that I, I know is like a fundamental no-no. Like you don't get in the air without knowing what you're doing. Um, but I think what John Murray and Halbert have, have done is have this ability to say, okay, I'm going to get in the air and have a couple of reads, right? I have two or three decisions and I know already where I'm looking and how much time I have before I land. And I'm going to make my first read. And if it's not open, I'm going to make my second read. And if that's not open, I'm going to shoot or whatever it is. Maybe shoot is the first read. And if it's not, then it's it's the corner pass. And if it's not that, then it's the interior pass, right? Um, I just think that's a skill that the superstar uh, distributors have. Again, John Morant, Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton, 6'5". But still, guys that are more guard size, I think that is going to become a skill that we see a lot from superstar guys. So I think that's something that could help him, again, to really establish himself as this walking paint touch um, ideal. So I just don't really have any concerns about his offense, as weird as it is to say. Uh, I just kind of expect Scoot to, I mean, I guess maybe he won't hit some shots early on, but I just can't really imagine by his like third year he's not an efficient shooter let alone score at the rim and distributor. Um, I just think he's going to be like a top 10 point guard, you know, by his second season. Uh, it's kind of all there is to it. Uh, a little bit of it's, it's I, I have trouble putting it into words. Um, I just, I am very confident believing in Scoot Henderson and the skill set that I've seen him put on tape. He's a six foot two guard. He's a point guard. 
I get that this is not the most important thing for him being a superstar, but I did want to comment on the defense because he's not always the most engaged guy, uh, and I, I think he does need to be your point of attack defender unless you're going to have a Marcus Smart or a Drew Holiday or somebody like that who is, again, you've got to be like a... Yes, you have to be a shooting guard who can be your point of attack defender, which means the guy's likely going to have to be like 6'6", six, six, right? 6'5 six, or 6'6". Six, six. I do think he's pretty good at on-ball defense when he's engaged. You know, he's going to stick with guys. He'll get around screens. Uh, the six foot nine wingspan definitely shows up there. Uh, he's definitely good at getting deflections. He's, he's just smart in terms of anticipating his guy. Uh, he's also... He, he, he may be 6'2", but if you try to back him down, especially if you're like a like a small forward or something, he's he is definitely putting up a fight, right? Like he is not he's not gonna just let himself get back down. Um, I would say the biggest area of concern for me is the off ball defense. It's just it's just that's the focus thing, right? That's the energy thing, uh, especially if he's like imagine him guarding Steph and having to run off all those screens. Like he's he's not going to have the energy for that, especially because, again, I'm very confident he's going to be the primary initiator on on your offense, and I think he'll be, you know, getting your team to a, a good level on that end. So, yeah, he's going to be expending a lot of energy. Uh, if he has to expend a lot of energy guarding the point of attack or or more, you know, more what I'd be worried about is the constant off-screen movement, uh, I think that's going to be really tough for him. Um, so maybe you have to try to hide him a little bit. Maybe you need somebody that is a shooting guard that can really handle some of those best guard matchups. Maybe that's a constraint on building around Scoop, but that's fine. Um, I, I'm not that worried about him. You know, all I, all in all, too, I think he's solid. Like I, I really think um, this is just a matter of his playoff upside. Really, like he's going to be great, um, and I think he'll be solid on defense in the regular season. It's just a matter of whether he is good enough to not get picked on in the playoffs uh as long as he's good enough to not get picked on and they can surround him with some solid defensive pieces then he's set on defense and again like i said the offense is great my final verdict i think he's a bona fide superstar like right away almost uh within the first year or two uh he's he would be my bet to win rookie of the year uh, him and brandon miller I would say Brandon Miller would be my second pick. Uh, he's definitely less raw than Wembenyama or any of the non-Brandon Miller lotto guys. You know, the Cam Whitmores, the Jairus Walkers, the Thompson Twins, obviously. He's got this just infectious personality. I really think he's going to come in and, like, sort of like John Moran. I think he's just going to galvanize his team to being this. I think he's going to come in, especially if it's a young core, and just really invigorate them with like confidence. I think he's just got that cool professional persona, but like basketball professional. Like, I'm gonna win us these games. Y'all, let's do this. We're gonna do this together. I got I got us. I, I think, yeah, if you put good talent around him, I don't see any reason that he's not gonna be dominant in the regular season within a couple of years and then you know, again, depending on how good the surrounding talent is, I think he's got a great chance to make some big runs in the playoffs. And I mean, I wouldn't bet against Scoot winning a title in his career. I wouldn't bet against him winning two titles in his career. You know, I don't think he's going to be. I don't think anybody in in the modern game is is a good bet to win like three or four titles, right? I mean, LeBron's barely gotten. Um, what does he have? Four titles now. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's it, that's what the second best, if not the best player of all time. So, yeah, it's a tough, tough standard to hold anyone to. But, um, again, I, th- I think Scoot's great. Scoot, easy pick, in my opinion, for the, the second most likely superstar. Again, somebody that's really defining an era for a team or even, you know, the entire NBA. Somebody that you build around for the next 10, 15 years and is the clear alpha and omega of your team and your team's success. I think I think Scoot's got it, right? I think Scoot's got everything you need. Third guy on this list, again, I think he's a bit of a drop down in terms of the ceiling, maybe, um, and also just the odds of becoming that true superstar. But Brandon Miller, the wing out of Alabama, he's definitely the most ready-made star in this class. Uh, I think Scoot's ceiling is you know, or whatever it is, the 50 percentile, the 75th percentile, um, I would bet on Scoot to be, you know, a little bit more of an all-NBA guy and Brandon Miller to be more of an all-star guy. But I think Brandon Miller is just, it's just, it's all there right now. You don't really have to ramp up anything. Like, Scoot has to ramp up his shooting and maybe the defense a little bit. Brandon Miller's six foot nine and shoots and handles the ball like a guard. That's the five-second pitch for him, right? He's not quite the, again, I like calling Scoot a dog. Brandon Miller's not quite that, but you could tell his teammates did really rally around him. Uh, so I do think he's got like a good leader, personality, whatever you want to call it. Um, he, he's He's got some dog in him, to put it, like the kids do. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of his offense, Brandon Miller is undoubtedly a top five shooter in this class uh not just in terms of like his his percentages or you know his pure efficiency but just watching him his his touch his variety of shots he does a lot of running off of movement and what i think is really special about him is nato's would get him into spots where he's running off of screens uh dho's generally to get a ball off of a handoff and would have the opportunity to either pull up from three uh, or drive it if he feels like that's where the greater advantage is. So that's something that it's almost akin to like an RPO in football where you just have this split second decision of, you know, okay, make this one read and then let's move with it. And I think that's, I think that's, it's funny because it's number one, it's impressive that Brandon Miller can make those quick decisions and can hit those shots too and can drive those closeouts. Number two, I would say it's also, it's kind of nice that Nato's is putting him in a situation where it is more of a A or B decision as opposed to just saying, hey, here's an ISO, like, make something happen. Um, I, I, I do think Brandon Miller is a little bit better in some of that structured environment. I don't know if I love him as much. I, I will say he's good in transition. Um, I just think he is somebody that's a little bit better fitting into a team and having having a system. He's good at getting off the ball, right? He's not somebody that has to dribble a lot to get his shots off. Uh, and I do think that's an advantage, but also I think it's something that if you gave him 30% usage, he might be a little bit more inefficient. Uh, we definitely saw games where he was, again, shooting 3 for 19 or 5 for 16 or something. I have no doubt that Brandon Miller is going to be efficient as a scorer in the NBA. I would say the main question for me is how high his usage gets, which I just kind of referenced. Uh, he had a 26% usage for this year, which you compare, you know, it, that, that, that is high. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the average is 20. Um, 
but you compare that to like 30% for Keontae George, which, yeah, Bama had, you know, Jaden Bradley and Mark Sears and Javon Quinterly, guys that had decent usages as well. Uh, and I like that Brandon Miller can get off the ball and not hog it. Keontae was in a bad court with Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer as well. Certainly not as efficient, don't get me wrong. Um, but it, it definitely interesting that, again, a guy like Keontae is able to get up those shots in a way that his coach is not pulling him for at the very least. Um, maybe that's a little more questionable than I, than I was initially thinking. But um, I, I do think, you know, the 26% usage is, is indicative of something. I don't think Brandon Miller is really going to be like a 30% usage type of guy over the, over the course of his career or, or even his um, prime years where the main comparison I, I've heard, and I think it's a solid one, is, is Paul George, where Paul George was more, again, more that 30% rage in his best years. I think he was 32% the year that he was uh, in the MVP discussion in Oklahoma City. He was career 27%, though, so I think that's maybe a little bit more attainable. And you think of some of uh, PG's earlier years, some of his later years as long, alongside Kawhi, right, being more of that complimentary role. I think that's something that makes more sense for Brandon Miller. But, again, the difference is a guy like PG had years where he was over 30% and effective, you know, efficient. Uh, Brandon Ingram, another comparison more like 29% usage in his time in New Orleans, uh, and he's been quite efficient as well. Um, maybe Brandon Miller could get to something like that kind of role. Uh, I think the biggest thing would be, again, if you had a, a Zion around him, uh, if you have a true superstar that is not necessarily getting up 35% usage, if he's uh, around a Giannis or a Zion, or I don't know, Wimby might be one of these guys who's uh, draws a ton of attention but really only has 25% usage, so... You know, maybe he gets in a situation like that. The guy that I found is the best usage comparison, though, was Gordon Hayward. Now, I feel like that's going to come off as an insult, but Gordon Hayward actually ended up having like 26, 27% usage uh, in his best years in Utah. So from ages 23 to 26, he went from 23 usage, 26 usage, 25.7 usage, 27.6 usage. Uh, and in the playoffs that year, which that was his last year in Utah, that was his all-star year. That was the year before he had the uh, the leg break in Boston, which obviously shifted his career. Uh, but he was almost, I think he was up into the 28%, maybe even almost 29% in usage. That's sort of maybe what I could see Miller going at, right, is sort of earlier on, he's more the 22 23% usage, you know, a little bit more than the average guy, but um, not not a real primary option for an offense. And then in some of his better years, especially if he's a number one option, then he's more in that 27, 28% usage. Still don't think he's ever going to be a 32% usage guy. I don't want him to be. Um, but at the same time, I think Scoot can be a hyper-efficient 30% usage guy. I think Jaw is probably, that's probably something, Something, you know, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Alexander is another guy like that, right? 30% usage or so, super efficient as well. If you can get to that, that's way more valuable than just being a 27, 28% usage guy and efficient, but not everyone's going to be the, not everyone's going to be a top five player in the league. Uh, and that's what we're talking about with those, with those uh, types of guys. So uh, again, more on Brandon Miller's game. Uh, I think he can run real pick and roll reps. Uh, mostly as a scorer, but occasionally kicking to the corner, throwing lobs. Like he's he's got good passing vision, and I think he generally makes good passes. I think he's. I would even. It's funny. I'm thinking about this just out of the blue. 
I don't know that his passing ability, dribbling ability, passing vision even is that much worse than I think it's about the same level of Anthony Black. Brandon Miller is also a phenomenal shooter and scorer, so um, I actually am maybe talking myself into thinking Brandon Miller is a little bit better uh, as a creator. At the end of the day, again, I still don't think he can really hold up as a 30% or more usage guy as like the primary initiator, which is why I still think Scoot is firmly a better bet at a long-term superstar. Um, I don't totally know why. I just feel like with Brandon Miller, it's, if he's off, his offense is predicated on the shots, right? If he can't hit shots in a certain game, then his creation ability is not really going to be there. Whereas with Scoot, I think he can have games where he's less effective as a shooter, but can still get to the rim and distribute and score at the rim and maybe draw some fouls. I'm not as confident at Brandon Miller's ability to, if he can't, hit his first few shots to get to the rim and draw fouls or, or score effectively. Um, I think that's maybe something he develops later in his career. Again, I, I think it's something that he will be able to do to some extent, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to get to up, up to like 30% usage over the course of a, an 82-game season. That's not, that's not some damning statement. It's just I, I think he's... I think he's in that next level of superstars, right? I think he's more the second best player on your great team. I think that's more his ideal role, and, and that's okay. Um, his defense, I think his defense is another reason I'm not super sold on him. As you know, I, I don't see him as being a two-way superstar. I think he could be solid on defense, but I think it's going to be honestly more about him surviving on defense at first and then growing into a decent to solid impact guy on the wing. I don't think he'll really ever be a great ISO wing defender. I just think he I think he likes his strength. Like he's he's tall. I think he'll put on muscle, but I don't think he has like a I think he's always going to be relatively skinny uh for his height. I think maybe again, I think what you're looking for for him, he's more of like a steel guy really than a block guy. Like he has 0.9 steals a game, 0.9 blocks a game, and, and given that he's six foot nine, like that's definitely a little more weighted towards steals. But I, I do think there's again, I just think that he's not going to be a strong interior defender, or rim protector. Uh, I don't think he just he just doesn't have the instincts for that or the strength for that. Um, and I don't think he's really going to be a lockdown perimeter defender. Maybe he can. Maybe what he can learn to do is really get around screens and guard like some some of those like shooting twos and shooting threes, but I don't know if I totally buy that he's going to be able to get low and get around screens like that. Again, I think what you want from him is not to be some great shutdown defender. I think you're hoping that he can hold up on switches, he can play fine on whoever not the best player two, you know, two through four is, uh, the second or third best player, he plays some functional help defense, and occasionally can swat a shot or steal a pass or two, right? I think as long as he can make occasional plays on defense that are positive and for the most part be a neutral, you know, and only occasionally be a negative, I think that will that'll be enough to be worth keeping him out there on offense for 35 minutes a game. One thing I will say about his defense is just kind of an unrelated note, but I do like how quickly he will turn a rebound into transition. Uh, I think that's a big thing at Alabama. I noticed that Noah Clowney is also really good at 
Uh, every time he gets a rebound, it's quick outlet to whoever he, he sees up ahead of him that he knows will run, or he'll just run it himself. I, I do really like that. I think that's a Bama thing and something that's going to uh, stick with him. I think that'll benefit him early on. Again, it's always good as a young player if you can get into transition on offense, especially uh, if you can dribble and shoot well. I would say that's a good thing, especially, again, he's he's 6'9". He's throwing out some pretty crazy dunks. Like, he's a good athlete. My overall verdict on him, he's the other candidate for Rookie of the Year. Like, I think Brandon Miller is phenomenal. Um, he's super ready-made. And while, again, I don't see him as quite that top-level primary, efficient primary creator, uh, I think, again, right away he's going to come in and either going to be an efficient scorer uh, or put up some big counting stats. Uh, and in the long term, I think he'll he'll combine both. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a, an effective, you know, 25-point-per-game scorer on good efficiency. He'll rack up a few assists as well. I think he's going to be uh, a guy that keeps a, a pretty uh, a pretty respectable assist-to-turnover ratio as well. So I think he's just going to be a super malleable superstar. Superstar is, uh, superstar is a big word. Um, I, I think we may end up considering him more of a star, maybe more of, you know, the a guy that's fighting for all-star candidacy in a given year uh, rather than a guy that's really cementing himself in, like, the all-NBA discussion. But at the same time, I, I do see there being a path to him being a true superstar, somebody that is a real 30% usage in a playoff series. I think that path is there. Um, and I think the 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 star, the idealized star version of him has such a good chance of happening and being so valuable that I do still think it's worth putting him three above the guys that I have at four and five who I am going to discuss in tandem uh, for reasons that I think y'all pro- can probably guess. Uh, it's because they're twins. And no, I'm not talking about Makai and Mikael Mitchell. I'm talking about the Thompson twins. Amen and Asar, heroes of the OTE League. <laughs> absolute nightmares to evaluate um I, I i don't know i don't know i don't know what i think about these guys um i've watched them a decent amount at this point you know i've got amazon prime booted up so i um i i still need to watch their their games in the finals um i watched one of them when it was on but i've been trying to go through earlier in the season and then finished with the playoffs because it did seem to me in the couple of games that I watched that the defense was a little more impressive uh, overall, which shout out to that. Overall, though, the Thompson Twins, I am just, this is, an it, I would say, an ambition on my part that I'm just not good enough at this yet, um, scouting in general, to evaluate these guys entirely separate, not just because they look similar or because they have similar play styles, but they are twins who have grown up their entire life playing on the same team and are still playing on the same team there's just a level of comfort and familiarity that is impossible to separate when you are watching them play on the same team together and playing most of their minutes together not all their minutes together but even then they are still on the same team they're going to the sideline and being there with each other i don't think it's i don't think it's unfair to mentioned that that is a a huge part of their basketball journey is playing together it is also absolutely shaped how they play Amin thompson is the point guard he's the distributor he's the one that handles the ball osar thompson is the off ball he's the scorer um he is the quote-unquote shooter i would say to an extent the reason he's 
taking shots is because he's not the guy that's dribbling the ball, um, which leads to a whole another can of worms. The Thompson twins, I, I'm actually going to try to stay relatively brief on them. We'll see. Uh, but I, I really ought to have an entire podcast with them, and I, I really want to try to bring on somebody uh, to talk this to talk this over because uh, I, I just find them incredibly difficult, and I, I don't think that's a unique take. Um, but to be clear, they do have very obvious differences. Um, I, again, I just mentioned that the ball handling, the, the roles that they've played are clearly different. Um, I just find it a little bit easier to compare and contrast them to each other. Uh, and again, there's a whole other discussion about the OTE league, the fact that they these guys have been professionals for two years as opposed to being in school, uh, the fact that you know the hopes and dreams of OTE to an extent right on the shoulders of these guys, right? This is a pretty big deal. Although I would say that they have a lot of prospects in the pipeline as well. Um, I think 24 and 25 are going to be, you're going to get a few draft prospects coming out of OTE. So maybe that's not as true as I might think. Um, but I would say that the the way that the league is valued in the eyes of scouts to an extent depends on how Amin and Osar Thompson do in the next couple of years. Start with the athleticism. I think that's where you have to start, right? Both are they're both crazy athletes. They're insane. Um, Amin is the one who I think makes a little bit more. I've just personally seen him make a couple more basketball athletic plays where there's like one specific play that I clipped and put on Twitter. It was like this behind the back in transition, and then he euro stepped and dunked off one foot off of the second step of the euro. And I was like, that's not real. Like that's not what you don't do that. That's that bodies don't work like that. Like that's, it, it looks like he should have just torn his Achilles, but it just works for him. Um, and also is like no slouch either. Like his coordination is also phenomenal. A big reason why these guys are good ball handlers is because they're so coordinated. Um, you can also tell too, that again, I, I sort of value coordination as something that I don't think people really talk about as much in athleticism. I think when people talk about like the Luca thing, it's like, oh, well, he like decelerates so well. I think that's part of coordination. Uh, I think Jokic's whole thing. I think a lot of his coordination. Uh, Joel Embiid too, right? The balance on his uh, the the ability to get his jump shot off. Uh, that's coordination. Uh, these guys both have great coordination, which is why it really sucks they can't shoot. But I'll talk about that in like thirty seconds. Um, <laughs> uh, these guys, they're both very coordinated they're also like great vertical athletes and run and jump athletes i sort of call it the track and field athleticism so i, I i've heard uh, people say that like osar may come in as like a top 10 percentile athlete and Amin may come in as like a top 10 or 5 athlete in the league uh, i i don't know if i see quite that difference i would need to look into it more but i, I do see the argument that they could both be top 10 athletes in the league like coming to the league it certainly doesn't help that they're probably going to be i think they're i think they're going to be 21 in like december or something uh so they're definitely you know them and brandon miller are a little bit more grown um but they, they i mean they're phenomenal athletes and it's not unreasonable to expect them to keep growing over the next few years as athletes um one thing that i find very interesting and i haven't really heard mentioned both of them played volleyball when they were younger I think you can definitely tell that when they jump. They definitely have... I've seen Osar specifically do a couple of, like, jump with the arms fully extended, like the full vertical, and I was like, that's not that's not verticality. That's a volleyball play. That's what he's doing, which is very cool. I would love to know if more 
it feels like basketball players and volleyball should go hand in hand, but uh, just an interesting note for me. Uh, anyways, on the offense, uh, the, <laughs> it's not that hard, right? Uh, they can't shoot. Um, I really need to watch them separately, just sit down for a few hours and watch like a couple hours of Amin tape and then watch a couple hours of Osar tape because some people seem to think that Osar has a real chance to be a shooter. Um, okay, maybe. Um, I have pulled the stats from them in high school and OT because they do have some high school stats that are available, uh, which gives them a pretty good sample size. And Osar does have like 200 more three-point attempts over that career than Amen. Like he absolutely does get up more shots and he is slightly more efficient as a three-point shooter and a free throw shooter. Um, it's just that I don't, I don't, I guess like I, I, I don't, it feels like for the city reapers, they do put a lot of effort into getting Osar more easy sort of catch and shoot mid range shots, which I think, I think part of it might, he just might look like a better shooter cause he gets really easy shots. Um, I don't, I don't know how much I buy that he misses. Neither of them seem to hit shots more, the easier they get. It's like they're going to either hit or miss dependent on whether they hit or miss the shot. It doesn't really matter how far they are or how well you can test the shot. That makes me really uncomfortable. That's that's really bad. I they I mean both of them again, especially with Amin at the rim because he gets there a lot. Like they just these guys are bad scorers. They have bad touch. That's really concerning. But I don't understand. They're so coordinated. It all it almost I just have this cognitive dissonance where they can't shoot, but they have to be able to shoot. But they they can't shoot. They've proven they can't shoot, but they're coordinated. They have to be able to shoot. They they're gonna work. So I I have I, that's this is the other thing. I buy them as people hundred percent. Like they they're they're great. They're gonna work as hard as they possibly can. They're incredibly disciplined. They take this incredibly serious. They have to be able to learn how to shoot, right? But they just can't shoot at all. They're so bad at it, and I don't understand. I don't understand how to evaluate it. it. And at this point, I've just decided I trust them. I think they are going to work hard, and I think that they're going to figure it out because I think they're coordinated enough, and I think that they're going to get drafted high enough that NBA teams are going to say, hey, here's our best coaches. Just go learn. Take two years and figure out how to shoot. And I think they're going to figure out how to shoot eventually. That's – I just – if I am a team and I have the number three or the number four or the number five, well, the number four or the number five pick, but I don't know, maybe even number three, and I look at my coaching staff and I say, I believe in you guys, and I look at the other players on this team and I say, I believe in you guys, I think you go for it. I think it's a massive gamble, um, but I think you might go for it. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, I had a couple more notes, uh, the non-scoring stuff. Again, these guys have very advanced handles. You see it with Amin especially. Amin runs a lot of pick-and-roll reps. Um, I will say it looks way too easy at times. Like, the defense in OT is, is trash. And there aren't – I tweeted about this earlier as well. But there aren't any guys that are just lockdown defenders. So that does make me nervous. Again, the whole evaluation in OT is just hard to pull off. But, I mean, I've seen him make some wild plays at times in a good and bad way. Uh, I've seen him make some fantastic decisions that it really looks like like only he could make, right? Like only he can get into these decisions and then make that pass uh, or take that shot. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, when they make their shots, like there have been games where they've made shots, there's literally nothing you can do. It is like 
it is like if Zion Williamson starts making shots in a game, right? Like the game, his first game of his career where he went four for four from three. Nobody is going to close out from on Zion like three point shots. He's going to have to shoot seven hundred and fifty three point shots at like you know thirty six percent before people start closing out on him. You can't close out on him. If you close out on him, it's a guaranteed two point shot. And I think the Osar Twins might have some of that, especially, again, especially I've seen it from Amen. So if they can score at all a fadeaway game, uh, sorry, a floater game, just finishing at the rim better, if it is some jump shooting, I think they're, I think they're superstars, and I think they're like high, high-level playoff superstars. It's just a matter of whether they can hit that shot because I think they've got the handle. I think they've got the coordination. I think they've got... The vision. It's all raw. It's very raw. I, I have to preface it with that. Uh, Scoot is a better decision maker, more consistent decision maker. Brandon Miller is a way better decision maker, more consistent. These guys are inconsistent with their decision making, but the high end stuff is super high end. Again, I'm I'm just uh, whatever the defense, whatever. It's OT. I don't know how to evaluate this. Like it's they should be better than they are on defense. They take a lot of gambles. There's a lot of lapses, especially from Amen. Like, they have great moments of time, but it looks like they're just kind of doing it for a clip, which I'm, I don't know. It's like they'll just stick to the guy half core for 10 seconds. I'm like, this doesn't really mean anything. Um, I, I don't know. If, 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 if you're worried about these guys' defense as being a defining skill in the NBA, they've, they, it's been a failure, right? Like, at the end of the day, they're six foot seven and, and incredible athletes. Like, they're going to be fine on defense. The thing that you are putting your job on the line for is their offense and at the end of the day my verdict it's a massive gamble if you want to keep your job i I would say go pick brandon miller or pick jairus walker i think they're more i think they're just easier you're less likely to get fired that being said though if you really want to make your mark if you really want to win a championship if you really believe in your development staff and if you really believe in either amin or sr or both of them whatever you have you have to take you have to try you have to try that's what this is all about it's all about winning a title these guys give you a 90% chance of a top 5 pick who ends up as a bust i don't think they're going to end up in china in 3 years but i think there's a real chance that either or both of them end up as inefficient offensive players and potentially inefficient offensive players who can't even get up a high usage they can't even be floor raisers but there's a 10 percent chance these guys give you a real chance to win an nba title and that's that's why we do this that's why we watch that's why these guys get these jobs that's why it's so enticing to be at this high of a level because you you have this opportunity to take this chance to win it all against the greatest that are that are in the industry so at the, at the end of the day again i need to discuss these guys further it, it's an impossible evaluation though right not just the league but their play style the fact that they're non-scorers almost it, it's impossible right I, I would love to talk about this with some folks but for now i think you have to put them in the top five of most likely superstar candidates because it's so clear the ways in which they can get there. It's just a matter of whether they figure it out. Anyways, I've been rambling on for far too long now. I'm going to 
have mercy on both you guys and my vocal cords. And go ahead and end the podcast. As always, appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, hoping to put more content out as the draft comes up. Uh, I've been doing lots of saving video clips, so I'm hoping to put up some YouTube videos. I'm hoping to put one up associated with this, with these top five guys. I've, I've got a decent number of clips for them. Uh, hoping to do some more video work. Hoping to do some more podcast work. Hoping to talk some more folks online. Um, yeah, I'm just super excited to be in this space. and uh, I'm just happy to talk about basketball. It's just fun to talk about basketball. So, just happy I can do that.